Karen James of the New York Times advises that we don't expect their bickering to be on the level of Neil Simon, and we won't be disappointed. Critic James Bernardolini says, while it won't come close to my top 10 best list for 1993, it will be right up there among the pictures that I had the most fun watching. And about its sequel, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times does our job by saying that this is, of course, a big screen sitcom, and in fact, I would love to see this material transplanted to the TV screen where it belongs. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decide the fate of grumpy old men. Reboot. Which one will it be? It's the Ruined Childhoods Podcast. Greetings, moron. I mean, starfighters. Hey, <laughs> Dickhead. Starfighters, I am feeling a lot of post-Thanksgiving gratitude for all of you. Um, we've gotten some sales on our merch page, and it yes. hasn't been us. And uh, we just want to say thank you. Please send in, uh, when you get your merch, take a picture, uh, if it's a shirt wearing it, if it's a mug holding it, whatever. Uh, and, and if it's we'd a love gift, to share it give online. It, take a shot when you give that gift and yeah. just the joy that that person feels when they see that, <laughs> you know, silhouette of Jesse Plemons. And yeah, like, well, he that's, does always deliver. Yeah. Somebody did purchase a Jesse Plemons always delivers t-shirt. So I'm, I'm excited about that one. I was hoping it would perhaps be Jesse Plemons, but we don't know that. We don't know but that. Any, no, but and and also a lot of credit because this is all John like designing these shirts and he just like I'll be in the middle of teaching one of my little like, you know, <laughs> I'd say Zoom class, but we do Microsoft Teams. Uh, yeah. Zoom it's is a, the generic Kleenex term Zoom, for it. That's exactly what I was just about to say. Yeah. Um, so I'm doing my I'm doing my virtual school and I'll get a message from from John. It'll pop up and, you know, it'll be, <laughs> you know, a couple of options of text with an Oscar Isaac silhouette oh. or perhaps the <laughs> we- different textures on the problem child style. Yeah. logo. So we, we do have a. An Oscar Isaac style piece of merch that is currently under review because coming soon. <laughs> well, hopefully coming oh, hopefully. soon. It, it has to be under review from Legendary Entertainment because, uh, you know, he's in the new Dune, which is one of their pictures. And if they approve it, then it will be like official merchandise <laughs> like we we have the right to say that it's not like they're gonna sell it or anything but yeah um same story for the yes you chalumet shirt <laughs> which is not in the works and which just happened no no just it now. isn't i don't no, think that's isn't. gonna happen uh, that's no, one I that i would so. i would send that to john and john would just say no <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe it's something more subtle like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> something more subtle uh the our ruined childhoods problem child shirt is the least subtle thing in the world. Anyway, thank you so much to everybody who's been yeah. uh, checking it out. Uh, it's at tpublic.com. Right now, it's just not yet searchable, but it's tpublic.com slash user slash ruined dash childhoods. The link will also be in the description for this episode of the podcast. 
But hey, also, if you buy something, um, please share the link yes. um, um, across your networks, and then I guess it'll be easier to find. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. why not? We're that working on the whole works. search thing right now. Yeah. So, Dan, I've got some some news bits for uh, you know reboot, remake, sequel, prequel news. Allegedly, and this is according to Slash Film, well, I mean, they're, they have a direct source. Polly Shore is their direct source. He is... The Weasel. The Weasel is desperately trying to get Disney Plus to make an Encino Man sequel. So, uh, allegedly, he's already been talking with Sean Astin and Brendan Fraser, and they say that they are on board. So says Polly Shore. And... I'd I'd love that. I think it'd be great. And Cena Man's I awesome. agree. I give the that. Juice. I give I why not? Let's go back. Let's wheeze the juice one more Let's time. Let's wheeze the juice. Yeah. Revisit the Encino Man. Yeah, sometimes characters. my daughter, Maggie, uh she'll separate the syllables of a one syllable word like she'll kind of break it into two syllables with a little beat in the middle and be like, "All right, the weasel." Um she, she doesn't does get the, the reference. Word, yes. Yes. yes yes she gives it like a little like like a little like dixie carter on on um oh god i almost said desperate outside designing women designing women, right before yeah. she would go into a rant like well, yes well Alexander. yeah she does yes but, but maggie let me also tell goes you something that is also true yeah. well so in other um in other news we've got a um we've got toxic avenger news i didn't know that they were going to be rebooting the toxic avenger but they're doing it with uh peter dinklage so uh this is also i think this is on deadline and slash film it says the toxic avenger reboot will be steeped in environmental themes and subverts the superhero genre in the vein of deadpool when a struggling every man is pushed into a vat of toxic waste he is transformed into a mutant freak who must go on who must go from shunned outcast to underdog hero as he races to save his son his friends and his community from the forces of corruption and greed sign me up I yeah. said I I was a, a trauma fan, you know, for a long time. Um I don't know what their involvement would be. But Toxic Avenger was their most mainstream property. You know, they had the Toxic Crusader animated TV show for a while. It's so, a musical. It's a musical. That's high right. It's a musical. Do they really? I think. I don't know. I couldn't tell you if any. I, I'll be honest with you. I have never seen it. I've never seen the really? Toxic Avenger. I've never seen any of the. I don't know if I've ever seen a trauma picture. Really? I um. You know, I I was accepted for an internship with them, but right before it was to begin, they were like restructuring every. They were like in total limbo, and they were just like, yeah. So I don't think that's going to work out. <laughs> mm. So uh, it's um, it would have been really interesting. But I remember going into the trauma office to meet with them in like Hell's Kitchen or something. And yeah. there was a lot of like the props on the wall, like on these shelves. Did you and meet with just, Lloyd Kaufman? I did not meet with. Um, I met him. He was there, but I we did oh, nice. not okay. chat. Um, Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah. Uh, actually, uh, some friends of mine, uh, released a movie with trauma. I think they might've released a couple movies with trauma. Um, Eric Goslin, my former podcast co-host and oh. Jim Martin, they, uh, they had some movies that were trauma releases, uh, Yeti, Yeti a, love, a story. love story. Yeah. So, um, and I believe the anyway, sequel, correct. 
Yes, Yeti, Yeti, a life story, Yeti, a love story Two: life on the streets, I think is what it's called. And I think they also had one called Street Team Massacre that I believe was released by or distributed by Troma. Anyway, oh, hey, I could be wrong. If, hey, if you're listening and if you're a my, fan of Troma. My friends don't listen to this show. No, not your friends. Oh. I mean, no, I'm saying if you, <laughs> to if our whoever listeners. is, who to our listeners, please check them out. Yeah, for sure. Real weird stuff. If you are trauma curious, as I am, I'm like, uh, you know what? I'm my interest has been piqued. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's real fringy stuff. It's funny and you know wrong in a lot of ways. And yeah. I started watching Tromeo and Juliet once. Oh, when I was Tromeo teaching. and Juliet's messed up. <laughs> Two households, differences, dried plums and pears, in fair Manhattan where we lay our scene. Two homes adrift in hate for 20 years, a score, a wash in sin for long deprived of dreams. Once long ago, they planted seeds of hate, which bloomed to constant battles for revenge. Soon murder was the awful commonplace. Back when I was teaching in New York and I was looking at different film adaptations of Romeo and Juliet to say like, all right, how could I, because what I wanted to do was show for each act of the play, I wanted to show a different film version of it. So I was like, oh, let me see. I'm like, I'm teaching in a New York City high school. Let me look at this one five minutes in. Nope, that's not going to work. Tromeo and Juliet was, I believe, written by James Gunn. It also features Sean Gunn, James Gunn's brother, who is in, I think, all of <laughs> all of James Gunn's movies. Yeah, yeah. So if you're looking for some early James Gunn stuff, Tromeo and Juliet's your, your movie. So Dan, uh, did you have anything you wanted to add news-wise or maybe a one more thing from our last episode? No, I have I have nothing to add today. Nothing, no, no more Steven Seagal bits of uh, wisdom? Uh, yeah, you know... No, he has been off my radar to use a an under siege <laughs> a nautical term, term. <laughs> to use a a nautical term. Yeah, yeah, no, nothing except that. Uh, I'm I'm curious to hear if anyone since listening to that episode mm-hmm. has gone and checked out Under Siege Two: Dark Territory for the yeah. first time after hearing uh, John's praise. It's great of it. I have not. I have Despite not really Steven had Seagal's the opportunity. best efforts to make it terrible, it is actually really good. It's kind of it's on my list for whenever I I have time for that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just curious to know if anybody else, if you have, shoot us right. an email at ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail dot com. Yeah. Let us know what you thought of Under Siege Two: Dark Territory or or anything else or anything else. Any, I mean, you could send us the email. We we might not, you know, if you're telling us about like a, a great recipe you prepared, you know, it depends. We might pay attention to that. If sure. you're talking about one of these movies that we're talking about, though, hell might yeah. pique our interest gonna, a little bit more. I think so. so keep so it relevant. Is two what episodes saying, ago was episode 91, and we talked about 1991's The Fisher King. Last episode was episode 92. We talked about 1992's Under Siege. And- this is episode 93. We're talking about 1993's Grumpy Old Men. Dan. So I'm thinking we should talk a little bit about about like the cinematic year of 1993. Sure. 
because like Dan, you have the floor. Thank you. 1991 was like the bonanza year in movies. Just like even the blockbusters were critically like Terminator two mm-hmm. was, and that's just one of the best films of the nineties. A lot of the best films of the nineties came out in 1991 from poppier stuff. And even things like a Robin hood, Prince of thieves um, yeah. or the rocketeer, which, you know, we've talked about didn't, check it out in the archives uh didn't make a huge splash but but has really what year was splash 1984 84. which was another contender for great <laughs> years in movies but i'm not going off on a 1984 tangent right now because don't get me started when you start listing the movies that came out in 1984 it's uh, breathtaking okay 91 Nin- 1991 same thing 1992 not so much. You've got some interesting, some great voices coming out that year. Um, you know, some really notable films, um, some that we've talked about, some that we haven't, and others that are under siege. And <laughs> 1993, I feel like, is Steven Spielberg because mm. he's got Jurassic Park coming out in June and then Schindler's List coming out in December. Man, what it's a year. like in one year. And I'm not, I, I don't think like Jurassic Park is his best movie. And to me, I don't think it's even top five Steven Spielberg movies. No, but it is a significant Spielberg It's culturally, film. it is culturally significant. And in terms of his career and what, like with his resources and his reputation, it was really when we saw like, all right, this director is such a bona fide hit master. Mm-hmm. Although, really, not so. I mean, yes, like Hook, I think, was his last one before that. Well, that was 91. 91, yeah. Mm -hmm. There you go. And then before that, I think, was Always in 89, which I don't think that was. Yeah, so much earlier than that is when you have, you know, Jaws and Close Encounters. So, I mean, all the Indiana Jones, that's like just throughout the 80s. Yeah, E.T. in 82. Yeah. So we come we come to 1993 and you've got a director with such skill. I'm not denying Steven Spielberg, amazingly skilled director um, and enough clout to be able to create these the most realistic movie dinosaurs ever, ever made. Although, Mm -hmm. as my high school students have recently told me, we don't know how realistic these images of dinosaurs are. Teens. I don't know what it is. Um, Yeah, it came up because I always ask like a creative question in the beginning of class. Short, short tangent here. I always (laughs) ask a a, a creative question. A tangent within a tangent. And it was, uh, yeah, no, we're tangenting all over the place. So I asked them if you could spend 24 hours in another time and place on the planet Earth, because I had to specify that because you have always one kid who's like, I want to be when the universe started. I want to be there. I was like, no. Floating around? Yeah. Well, as somebody told me, we're all just floating around anyway. So, um, high school. I love them. Um, So they, they were talking about how they were like, well, you know, there's evidence that a stegosaurus's skeleton might not have protruded from its body. And they're talking about like, I would go back to the dinosaurs because I want to see how they really looked. I was like, there's a conspiracy theory about what dinosaurs look like. I was like, I thought like after 
few hundred years of looking into that, like I figured they had they had it down. For me, it's like when I find out something like, oh, well, this actually had feathers. It's not like, oh, well, they got to recut Jurassic Park now. It's kind of just like, <laughs> huh, okay. <laughs> Spielberg does the recut like with E.T. when they replaced when he replaced uh, the, the guns walkies, with the guns with walkie talkies with walkie talkies. And uh, which I think he kind of backtracked on that. I think he backpedaled that. But, I hope so. So you have 1993, and I'm, when you think of significant movies that came out in 1993, it's like, well, the big popcorn movie that year is Jurassic Park, and like the big award winner is Schindler's List. Yeah. So how was Steven Spielberg not going to win an Oscar for Best Director? Not that that, you know, <laughs> would have made a difference, but mm-hmm. I, I imagine anybody else who was nominated that year actually had a pretty like calm and easy night because they were just like, uh, I am not winning this tonight. So <laughs> I am just going to chill and have a good time. So, and I mean, you think about the other notable movies in 1993, Last Action Hero comes to mind, but Last Action notable? Hero has a, well, notable in that it was very hyped. Right, it was hyped. 1993 was the year of a lot of hyped movies that didn't live up to expectations, like, as as many would argue, Last Action Hero, Mm -hmm. as pretty much everybody would argue. I remember Sliver, when that came out, was, it was all like, oh yeah, Sharon Stone and Tom Berenger and William Baldwin and sexy new thriller directed right. by, I think it was Philip Noyce who directed yep. it, who had mm-hmm. Patriot Games the year before. And and then it came out and it was like, oh, this movie's really boring. And <laughs> there's a scene where you see Sharon Stone math- masturbating in a, in a bathtub. Okay. And it's like, oh, okay. It was, I, I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't seen it since then, and I was like a teenager, so maybe I just didn't get it. But were you just like noise, and then you're just like, <laughs> that's the name of the director. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you were talking about 1993, and did you want to stop me? <laughs> um, you know, it's notable for controversy, like Made in America, which kind of had that controversy because of Ted Danson um, oh, doing that blackface bit blackface, when he, yeah. like some awards show. And it was like before that it came out. Yeah. I'm hazy on the details. I am a big fan of Made in America. Just I throwing ha- that out there. I and I haven't seen it in a long time. I remember Will Smith being really impressive in it. So what's up, baby? You want to slide out for a minute? Well, no, I really shouldn't. Oh, come on, baby. You know, let's just go see a movie or something. Well, I just, I'm just not really ready for commitment. I just want to take you out. I said no. Bitch. Your mother. Will Smith is really good as just like a supporting role. Was that Nia Long in that? Yes, Nia Long. And she I remember great. she was great in Whoopi it. Gold, playing Whoopi Goldberg's daughter. Yeah, I'll check it out again. I'm, I'll check that one out again. But you know, uh, hey, it's on the list, so um, <laughs> I put it there. I'm trying to think of other notable movies that came out in 1993, like the big indie f- film. I feel like was like The Piano. Mm. Yeah, I could just look all this stuff up, but I'm, I'm just freestyling here, searching for Bobby Fischer. Oh, searching Malice for Bo- Bronx oh. Tale, Tombstone, Dazed and Confused was okay. that year. Talking about the indies. 
So you do have some, so like Tombstone. At the Firm. To, the Firm was a big movie that yeah. summer. Yes. In so the name like, of the father. I remember that was a big one. Um, Fugitive. Right. Daniel Day-Lewis, The Fugitive, right? Fugitive yeah, was, was one of so the there's a lot from what so I there's, remember. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, as we discussed briefly, I guess, on, on the last episode, The Fugitive, uh, pretty notable. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I mean, just um, when, you, when you talk about movies that come up time and time again, all these years later, you know, The Fugitive is, is up there probably more than Schindler's List. I don't. I feel like Schindler's List has become kind Schindler's of like List, a textbook. Schindler's List is referenced, Fugitive is referenced and quoted. Well, and watched because if you're gonna, yeah. like, if you're gonna put a movie on tonight, what are like, what are you more are more likely gonna watch, The Fugitive or Schindler's List? <laughs> watch The Fugitive twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, it's not a movie that you go back to a lot. Like I've seen it. A number of times, like my mm-hmm. my wife had not seen it. Um, I don't think she had ever seen it, and Laura hadn't seen it either. Okay, all right, yeah. yeah. And well, to me, it was the perfect excuse to you know to purchase it on Blu-ray, and yeah. uh, because it's it, it's an incredible movie. I'm not gonna be like I'm not gonna be cool about it. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, Schindler, oh, it's just mm, oh, the red coat. Um, no, <laughs> Schindler's List is a fucking powerhouse of a movie. Oh, yeah. And I I remember seeing it. Uh, I mean, I saw it with mom mm-hmm. on New Year's Day. Okay. January 1st, 1992. She was okay. crying by the time the Universal logo faded out. But it was just- Wait, that I- came out end of 92? No, no, no. January 1st night. I'm oh, sorry. 90. Sorry. January 1st, like 94. Okay. Got it. Sorry. It came out at the end of 93. Sorry. But I remember we saw it on New Year's Day and yeah. It came out I mean, February 4th, 94. No, it came out in oh, limited release before that. Because yeah, because it, it says 1993, but it says release date February 4th, 94 US. might have been the wide, wide release, but Maybe. I remember we saw it New Year's Day. Like I, and I, I, I do have the ticket stub. Dan, I am um, not questioning your memory I know of you when you saw me. it, when and where and how you saw Schindler's List. Anyway, um, 93 to me, that's, that's what it's about. But, and you know what? Hey, you know what movie I saw? We, we saw a week before that grumpy old men. Cause that was our Christmas movie. Yeah. So, for our listeners, Dan and I, uh, you know, grew up in a Jewish household where we we followed the tradition of going to see a movie on Christmas. We we did Christmas Day Chinese food the night before, and um, yeah, the 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 Christmas movie was always a, a big tradition, and I remember some of them much better than others. Seeing Grumpy Old Men seems familiar like that seems right to me i mean i would have been 10 so my memory wouldn't have been like amazing but i it does feel like such a familiar thing that we saw this oh definitely like it was i I think it was kind of like there were some years where it was kind of hard to figure out and and we would just be like oh all right let's this is playing at a convenient time this may come up on another episode but i remember one year and i don't remember if you were there but we saw Shakespeare in Love, and I felt very uncomfortable watching it with 
mom and dad, like sandwiched between our parents. And dad was um, asleep. Right. Well, talking about that guy, uh, when we saw Royal Tenenbaums for oh, a Christmas God. movie, <laughs> do you remember what he said? I don't remember the words he said about it, but he hated it. He was like, well, thought it was like the worst movie he'd ever seen. And context here. So we grew up in a suburb of New York City and our father was not a big fan of driving into New York City. And which oh, is what did we, we have to did. go to New York for that? We oh. had to go to New York for Royal Tenenbaums because that's the only place it was playing on Christmas Day. It was playing it. We saw it at the uh, the Regal Union Square. My guess is that we had a hand in being annoying about wanting to see that. Oh, <laughs> like, I think we pretty much declared that that was what we were seeing. <laughs> Rightfully so. It's so good. I don't. Um, yeah, I don't yeah, remember there it. being a debate about it. It was like, oh, there was this no debate. What... He hated it. Oh, oh, oh. about going to see it. Oh, about going to see it. Yeah. Got it. Oh no, he definitely hated it. But that's like, of course, he hated it. Like, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so grumpy old men. I. Uh, I, when I was 10 and we saw this in the theater, I certainly was unaware of all of the very overt innuendo, especially from Burgess Meredith, who, man, oh. was so good in both of these movies. Both of these movies. Man, Burgess Meredith. So funny. His performance and... and oh, sorry. You know what? I, never mind. I'll wait. I was going to say that watching... Like during the end credits, they have like the outtakes and there's essentially just like, you know, a a collection of his different improvised takes saying like all of these wildly inappropriate things. And that's as enjoyable as watching the movie. Looks like he's going to enter the Holy of Holies. Coitus uninterruptus. Yeah, it looks like Chuck Slippiner, the old... Looks like Chuck's gonna put the hot dog in the bun. It looks like Chuck's a tomcat on the prowl. Meow. Looks like Chuck's taking the old log to the beaver. Yeah, looks like Chuck's taking the skin boat to Tuna Town. Looks like Chuck's taking a ride on the wild baloney pony. It's just you so good. And, you, I mean, you know, he was... Uh, he was suffering from I was, was dementia, dementia or, or Alzheimer's, maybe. Yeah, especially like on the second one, mm -hmm. and like you know they would really have to like help him out through these scenes a lot. But the yeah. the, the the journey of that of that character, and I know you're gonna do the synopses mm -hmm. uh, of the of the plots, but I mean. Uh, look, who wasn't expecting that this character, the character of Jack Lemon's, you know, whatever, 90s, <laughs> by the second one, what, 96-year-old father? Something like that, yeah. Um, You know, it wasn't a big surprise that he dies, but by the time that he- In the movie. In, yes, in the sec in, in the second film. Um, Burgess Meredith passed away in 1997. Mm -hmm. So- by the time he dies, though, it's like it's not it's like it's it's sentimental. Yeah. But it's like it's not sad because this guy has just lived so much. I yeah. mean, well, also he gets laid like what, well, the night before. I will. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Why don't I just launch into um, grumpy old men? 
The first, just straight up grumpy, not grumpier, grumpy old men. John Gustafson and Max Goldman have been best friends since they were five, but blood was drawn when John ended up marrying Max's big crush, even though they divorced years later due to her infidelity. As the years went by, the venom between these frenemies slash next-door neighbors only grew more poisonous. Things get even worse between them when a new hottie, Ariel, moves in across the street. They both lobby to be her new beau, but she only has eyes for John. Not wanting a repeat of what happened decades prior, John ends their budding relationship so that Max can step in, which he does. After John has a heart attack, Max realizes that he's getting in the way of a true romance between Ariel and John. Meanwhile, John's daughter, Melanie, is going through a divorce from a grade-A sleaze, leaving an opening for Max's son Jacob to step in, which he's been wanting to do since they were children. Both Max and John are super supportive of this union, which only kind of begins at the very end of the film. Also, John's father is a super horny old man. That's my synopsis. So, uh, John Gustafson is played by Jack Lemmon. Max Goldman is played by Walter Matthau. Uh, the odd couple reprising their vibe for, you know, uh, another movie. And, um, Anne Margaret as Ariel. Uh, we talked about Burgess Meredith as, uh, John Sr. Daryl Hannah plays Melanie. Kevin Pollock is Jacob. Uh, I didn't mention a couple of characters. I didn't mention Chuck, who owns, or Ozzy Davis, who plays Chuck as the bait shop owner, who uh, is the first to court Ariel and uh, passes away in, in the film, which is a very sad, sad moment. Um, and then we have Buck Henry playing the IRS guy who's hounding uh, John because he um, he didn't declare his wife's part-time job uh, and as part of like his pension or something like that. And he owed like 13,000 plus interest, which uh, ends up being covered as a loan by Max so that he can keep his house. But that's a whole thing. Christopher McDonald is um, <laughs> Melanie's soon to be ex-husband. If, if you're casting a grade A sleaze in the 90s, Christopher oh. McDonald is your go-to guy. Thelma so and good. Louise. Mm-hmm. He's so good. I he's mean, so good. Geez. Yeah, so he's actually kind of toned down in this. <laughs> well, he only has like one scene, really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh but yeah, he's shooter. You know, shooter. he's total sleaze. Uh but yeah, you know, it's it's the odd couple, you know, Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon are just kind of doing their thing, their shtick that they had been doing for decades and continue to do even after this. Odd Couple 2 was, I think, Odd Couple 2, Out to Sea. Out to Sea, that's right. Which were both failures, which is why Grumpy, Grumpiest Old Men did not happen. Yeah. Also because um, of the death of one of the actors who was going to be in it. Mm-hmm. Marcello Mastroianni. Oh, yeah, I can read that. From, uh, yeah. The grumpier old men yeah. lineage. Yeah. Um, Dan, what, what did you think about this movie? Um, okay. I kind of need to talk about it in the context of grumpier old men. So do you want, okay, why don't I why just don't you go do into the a synopsis, synopsis of grumpier? Yeah. Okay. You know, in these two movies are just like, you could just watch them back to back and- like they just should exist as a two part like 
You just have to as watch a, them both. As a Warner Brothers double pack that you can get for seven ninety nine at your local grocery store. Yes, <laughs> definitely. In one of those bins that you're just like, oh, what's in here? Maybe there's something good, and it's just this. All right, so grumpy er old men. John and Ariel are happily married, and John and Max's friendship couldn't be better. But that comes to a halt once Maria Rigetti moves into town with her mother to open a lakeside Italian restaurant at the site of their old bait shop, which will certainly disrupt their favorite fishing spot just at the edge of the lake. They band together to try and sabotage the restaurant, which royally pisses off Ariel, who forces John to apologize to Maria. After he passes out drunk at the restaurant and is forced to spend the night, Ariel is convinced that he slept with Maria. And Ariel's not the only suspicious one. Max also thinks that this is true, which stinks since he has the hots for Maria. And thus, the feud is reignited. Meanwhile, Jacob and Melanie are looking to get hitched, but the wedding and possibly the relationship gets called off after Jacob makes a mean comment about her divorce. This being a... Um, about being a bad judge of character. Both John and Jacob have to apologize to their partners, which is not an easy task. All the while, Max and Maria have begun a wonderful relationship, but Maria calls it off because her mother reminds her of the five divorces that she had and another relationship will only end in heartache. Speaking of Maria's mother, she has begun shacking up with John's horny father, which is quite nice since he ends up actually passing away shortly after. Everyone apologizes and makes up, and the movie ends the same way as the first, with a wedding. But this time, it's between Max and Maria, not Melanie and Jacob, which we are led to believe. So, Sophia Loren plays Maria Sophia Coletta Reggetti Goldman, as it turns out. Um, and then we have Anne Morgan Gilbert as uh, Francesca Reggetti, but that's just about the only changes that we have. I think that Sophia Loren was a great addition to the world. Yes. Um, okay, so now I can talk about Grumpy Old Men because Grumpy. I didn't see grumpier old men in the theater, and I felt like I had seen bits and pieces of it since, mm-hmm. uh, but I couldn't remember if I had seen the entire thing, and actually, I don't think I had. I think I always like missed parts in the middle because I remembered the ending when uh-huh. I rewatched it. But I have to say, I I enjoyed it more. Like it's it fun. Was, it was more fun. Grumpy old men was <sighs> okay. M- may I? Yeah, you may. Okay, because you seem to be having you a hard time. Shall you may? <laughs> oh boy. Uh, it's not going to catch on. Stop trying to make fetch happen. So I think that Grumpy Old Men, as fun as it is and as enjoyable as it is to watch the hijinks between the two of them, and you do have the like really nice moments between the two of them that are kind of not while they're together, but like, you know, how Max actually wants to help out John and, you know, and when they are together, when John has his heart attack and Max like knocks on the neighbor's door to try to get someone to call an ambulance and, you know, like there are those moments. But the problem that I had with it was the, you know, Anne Margaret's character, Ariel, she is this independent woman. Uh, She is an artist. She's a professor. You know, she's on her own. She's a very free spirit. We're introduced to her because she's like, you know, unlike a snowmobile 
peeling down the street at like two in the morning and, you know, she busts into people's houses and cooks them dinner. And, you know, she's just like this truly free spirit. And what bothers me is that she's treated like property by everybody you know, it's just, she is just a conquest for everybody's sexual desires. Uh, you know, it's just a matter of like, who can get to her first? And it's like, I saw her first, she's mine. And it's like, it's never, there's never a moment where she's just like, first of all, I don't belong to any of y'all. I got the hots for this dude over here. And uh, I like him. But it's like when John, when she, when John breaks up with her, She's immediately with Max and it's like she doesn't like him like that. Like she's friends with him, but she's not interested in him. I don't know. Yeah. I Like she hangs. She just like hangs out with him, but she knows he's interested in her. Oh, she totally leads him on. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Well, they're on, what on the snowmobile the next the next day. Yeah. Yeah. That that bothered me. I mean, there's there's a certain amount of relationship building and like establishing things that needs to happen so that grumpier old men can just be more fun. Yeah. But I think that, yeah, like that was that was a plot element that that bothered me as well. Right, and, and it I, could be yeah. just, you know, 1993, you're making a Jack Lemmon, Walter Matthau movie. Yes. Their their dynamic takes precedent over everything else and exactly that might have been the mentality well exactly and the whole i mean like really the fact that if if you just kind of take what you find out about her character and go ahead and make assumptions it's kind of like why is she going for either one of these guys if she's such an independent person what like is she like she's should not be desperate like she's not desperate i don't want no. her to be but it's kind of like immediately she she like, does she make a to... comment about how life is more fun when you're doing it with someone else. I don't remember the yes. exact line that she says. Yes. And uh, that's the only reason why you would think that she would end up with anybody but <laughs> in that small Minnesota town. <laughs> it's it It is more – it justifies more of why she's just like, hey, cool, yeah – Come on over for dinner. Let's have dinner. Oh, flowers for me. Like she takes everything at face value in a, in a positive way. That sounds like a, a it's like a I don't know backhanded compliment, mm-hmm. but she almost doesn't look into anything, even though she's smart enough to know that when Max has flowers, she's like, oh, are those for me? They're beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, like it's kind There's of never like, a moment where she says like. Hey, we just need to talk for a minute. Like, these are lovely and I really appreciate it. But, you know, I'm seeing John and he's my dude. I like him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I guess it just, it doesn't make sense. She also, according to the script, hasn't really been with anyone. Or I don't know if she even says she's like dated anyone since her husband passed away five years earlier. Right. Yeah. Like, I like that, but I've. Yeah, I would like to see that that character be given more of that independent identity and not just make it, well, she's the woman who falls for one or the other or both. Yeah, yeah it's almost like there needs to have been a scene before she gets to town where, like, she hears that there's a lot of, like, 
horny old single men in Wabasha, uh, Minnesota, or whatever the town's name is. Yeah, or something like where she's she's really just like, where can I move? Where she's like, I don't want to get serious with anyone. I just want to kind of get laid well, and I don't really care who's <laughs> doing it. And these desperate guys are going to do – they will take eight Viagras so that they can go all night. So you know what? I will just close my eyes or turn around or do what I need to do and go ahead, Walter Matthau. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, that's my that's my problem with it. The Otherwise, it's a really fun movie. It's – you know, if if you just get past that, then it's, you know. It's sweet. The Kevin Pollock, Daryl Hannah storyline yeah. is sweet. Yeah, I like them together. Uh, they're a very unlikely couple. And I do like how, you know, the, their parents, John and Max, really wanted to happen and seem to have always wanted it to happen. And, uh, you know, despite their ongoing decades-long feud still want their kids to get together with one another and you know that's that's nice well they they have a feud but i guess like describing them as frenemies is especially accurate yeah because they have a feud they look out for each other oh they totally look out for each other like they're friends yeah they i mean was it john's got a picture of the two is it john who's got the picture of the two of them Uh, i think so yeah when so, they're like kids and fishing and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So we didn't talk about, uh, you know, ice fishing is a big aspect of this. And I got to tell you, I don't know of any other movies that show like the ice fishing subculture, but it's nope. really, it's really fascinating. There's, you know, one episode of Frasier that features it, but that aside from that, I think this is it. So, uh, you know, they all have like their little shacks on the, on the lake and, you know, Max has his like old fishing pole that he's had since he was a kid. That's like his lucky pole and everything. And, and you know, there's the woman who like sells coffee and gum yeah. and cigarettes out of her the back of her truck. And I don't know. Yeah. It's just like I I really like the idea of that kind of community. And it's a fascinating subculture and it just makes a lot of sense and works in this movie. That would be. And I guess I don't have this in. I, this is not an idea for for anything but i was like that that it does sound like a fun idea for a series like a sitcom uh-huh, it's almost yeah. like uh not not northern exposure but yeah. you know kind of like a northern exposure or um i'm re- also reminded of the film mystery alaska have you ever mm, seen that i never saw that no i, I remember i know I mean, of it but i haven't seen it in probably like i guess 20 years i think it came out 20 years ago I remember really liking it and it's just, yeah, it's about this little, you know, community, I think up in Alaska. And I mean, it's very hockey centric. It's not ice fishing, Mm. but I like that. Yeah. Like that whole little, they have that whole little town set up on on the ice. On a frozen lake. Yeah. Which then in grumpier old men, it's, it's not, it's not frozen. It's, It's summer. And I thought that was a good choice. I like that they, did it oh totally yeah Yeah. it adds a completely different element to it you know they're after in the in grumpy old men they're everyone's after this fish catfish hunter that uh well the big thing is that john senior burgess meredith like he's been trying to catch this fish his whole life and then at the end while um you know max and john are on their way to what we later find out is max's wedding uh 
hear that he's been spotted and they go out on the lake to try to and they successfully catch catfish hunter but they set him free in in respect to john's dad who's been like searching for this fish his whole life and the fact that they caught him is all they need and they don't need to have proof of it that you know so that was that was a sweet moment yeah exactly i in a lot of ways i think grumpier old men it gets those the sweet moments that grumpy old men has, mm-hmm. but it's funnier. Yeah, it is and funnier. Sophia Loren, Sophia is Loren is great, great, and just like radiant. She's really wonderful. You know, something that she does in this and that uh, Anne Margaret did in the first is that you know there are these bursts of color in an otherwise very like brown world. And uh, it's it's really exciting. I mean, honestly, I bet that restaurant of theirs was pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah. I would have liked to have met Spaghetti Rigetti, her cousin <laughs> that is from the town uh, he's only talked about. But I love the idea of somebody being named Spaghetti Rigetti. Would it have been like casting at the time like Bruno Kirby? You love Bruno Kirby. Um, maybe like Paul Sorvino. Just trying oh, to think Paul of like Sor- at the time, you know. That would be fun to see Paul Sorvino. Yeah. In that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, you love your you love your Bruno or- Kirby. I know. You right. lit a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um yeah, I don't know. Grumpy, grumpier old men is a lot of fun. It's silly, it's ridiculous. I I mean I think that everybody can agree that Jacob and Melanie's wedding was all happening way too soon or their engagement to one another like i think this movie takes place pretty shortly after the first one they they kind of moved pretty fast which is part of the whole thing i guess they uh you know well they had an established yeah well yeah that is part of it yeah yeah but on the other hand it was like yeah you know they've known each other forever but yeah well i thought it was interesting that um i thought the whole box of wine thing when uh, uh, Walter Matthau brings the box of wine to to his date, oh, oh yeah, with Sophia Loren, <laughs> I I thought that was I thought that was pretty funny, and I was like, so what I was confused at was how when they're at the like the festival that like the mm, whatever yeah. beer festival uh, or whatever it was downtown, and they start to do the chicken dance and play the chicken dance. And oh, right. Kevin Pollock's character has no idea what it is. And I'm, I'm like, I'm pretty sure they're like, did he not have a bar mitzvah? <laughs> that well, was that's what, I- what I'm wondering about the Goldman's is that they seem to be celebrating Christmas, but I was He's, like, there's a menorah in the background. Oh, is there of, a menorah? The scene. Okay. I feel like at one point you see him. In the, open- this would be in the first one. Yeah, but then also, well, because what I was, and I was thinking that as well during the wedding scene at the end of Grumpier Old Men when it's mm. in a church. And right. I was kind of like, oh, so I guess Jacob really, I mean, his name is Jacob, you know, Max and Jacob, Jacob Goldman. Goldman. Yeah. Okay. Um, Col- Coleman. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's Goldman. Nice. This is nice, not good. this is not the birdcage. Birdcage. Uh, uh, yeah. So, so I don't know. I I never got that, sense that that it was then Sophia Loren because 
Well, know, yes, that would takes she not get married in a church. Come on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, I don't know that I did not notice the menorah thing. I was pretty sure that there was a Christmas element to things, but I maybe well, just, re- I mean, I think it it's wrong. one of those, like they live in I like, you know, I'm guessing like Northern Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, you know, probably not the, the largest know? Jewish community. Right. Yeah. Which is interesting because it's like, you know, Jacob is, is running for mayor and it seems to me like a a Jewish mayor would have been an abnormal thing in this tiny, you know, northern Minnesota town. But not not when you can say this is like it came in driving Miss Daisy. Like they they celebrate Christmas to oh, right, you know, right fit in to fit in. That's yeah. true. That's true. So anyway, Dan, I mean, any any thoughts yeah. about these movies before we move on to theorizing what could be? Um, you know, it was it, it was fun to see them. And I like Jack Lemon and Walter Matthau just have this chemistry together that it, I mean, it works. It makes a movie like Out to Sea, which is kind of, you know, like a low rent version of of this. It still makes out to see fun. Also, Brent Spiner is hilarious in it. Oh, I didn't know that he was in it. I know oh, Brent seen it. Spiner. Yeah, Brent Spiner is in it. And yeah, out to see. I remember it was one of those that when I worked at West Coast Video, oh. um, yeah, back in Westfield, New Jersey, when I worked at West Coast, we used to watch. That was like one of those movies that we would watch a lot because it was like just safe enough where we could keep <laughs> put it on. We watched that. We watched Down Periscope a lot with oh, Kelsey geez. Grammer. Yeah, talking about Frasier himself. Yeah. I remember we did we did that one. We did those two mm-hmm. quite a bit. But I remember, you know, I remember Out to See was cute. And um of course my favorite Jack Lemon Walter Matthau uh film is JFK nineteen ninety one. Oh, are they both in that? Yeah, they don't they don't have any scenes like Matthau plays a senator who's on a plane with huh. with Jim Garrison and Jack Lemon Jack Lemon plays this ca- uh, character who may know something about the assassination because right. it's been a while since I've seen yeah. JFK. So good. Yeah, don't know if that's one that we'll revisit on this show just because it's so niche. Yeah. Yeah, it, <laughs> but, you know, it does kind yeah. of like stand on its own. I guess but you could call I, Nixon a kind of spiritual sequel to it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think that um, when it comes to like latter day, you know, I mean, talk about Walter Matthau performances, like clearly there's things like Bad News Bears that really are at the top of the list. But then when it comes to like latter day Matthau, you know, I kind of just love his performance in the Dennis the Menace movie. Or he he's plays Mr. Wilson. Because I, like, I feel like same he's year. Perf- same year. Is that the same 93. year? I feel like he's kind of perfect in that role where it's not the guy on the prowl for a new woman. You know, he's with Mrs. Wilson. He has his garden yeah. club. He's got the like pesky neighbor who gets to be the <laughs> the Jack Lemon analog. <laughs> and um <laughs> And that, and that Which kid, is, he calls him a menace. He calls it in the beginning oh. of uh, <laughs> of grumpy old men. I didn't catch that when, when they're talking to Buck Henry after Jack Lemon like climbs out his window and is uh. escaping. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh my god! I don't know. I, I feel like where he falls off the roof, and you're like, "Tell me he did oh not god. break a hip!" <laughs> like, come oh, on. Oh yeah, these old guys. Um, yeah. yeah, and then I guess my another. Uh, I just got to call out. Like, I know we mentioned Daryl Hannah before, right? I feel like there's got to be another. Like, it's like Daryl Hannah. I feel like keeps. Like she was huge in the eighties. We talked about yeah. Splash before. Daryl right. Hannah. I was gonna say. Um, we were just talking about Oliver Stone, Wall Street. Um yeah. you know, Daryl Hannah was huge. Um, and then it was like the nineties, she mm-hmm. was doing this, grumpy old men, and then she kind of I don't know what happened, and then Kill Bill. She was in Kill right. Bill and she was awesome in those movies. And then like I looked. I I looked it up, and she's mostly been doing, I guess, like you know, she's B movies with Michael Madsen. Well, I you know, I know that she's big into environmental activism. She's married to Neil Young. I <laughs> uh, you know, I can't speak uh, to is her. She really, I, if they're not married, they're essentially, you know, married. Oh, okay, yeah, but um. Yeah, you know, I I don't know. I can't speak much to her her acting career. I guess maybe I'm it's just, just saying, that she, I don't know, focuses her energies mostly elsewhere, other than like you know, rather than getting big roles. Well, I'm just saying, I wouldn't complain if she were to pop up on uh, an an HBO drama series opposite Nicole Kidman. I would not any any of them. And I mean, I would not. Here's complain. the thing. Cast her as like Mackenzie Davis's mom in something. The well, two of them could totally work as being in the same family. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. a- absolutely. But I, I, I just I wouldn't mind Daryl Hannah popping. It seems like Daryl Hannah, um, almost like you know, comes about in each decade, and and I would like to see Daryl Hannah uh, make make another comeback. I would love to see her in something because you know yeah. she was just. She she kind of she stood I think she kind of stood apart. I think she kind of stood oh, yeah. out. Yeah. And she has she had like a um just her range where she could do the comedy Blade of, Runner. Blade Runner. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. Anyway, enough said. Daryl Hannah enough said. We miss you. Come back. Yeah. We're we know you're listening. We know that you bought one of our t shirts on tpublic.com. Send us a picture of you (laughs) with that Jesse Plemons shirt. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Hanging out with Kevin Pollack because I imagine that you do such a thing. Um, Of course. Anyway. Yeah. So, so Dan, what what would you do with this this property? We talked about how there was going to maybe be a grumpiest old man, but that got canned. Uh huh. Well, first, there's the uh, uh, conservative grumpy old men that I would do with James Woods and Gary Busey, and yeah. I'd have like John Voight as the father. I don't know where Randy Quaid would fit in, but he'd be in there somewhere, like Stephen Baldwin in the Kevin Pollock role, mm. Christy Swanson in the Daryl Hannah role, and you know they can put it on OAN Movie it's, Network. Or whatever. Yeah, it's a parlor app exclusive yeah yeah something like that no you know what all right i i think there's a i think there's so much there for uh, i think a prequel would be fun this is clearly not the beginning of this relationship so you know i think you could do like a a nice like kind of bittersweet comedy almost comedy drama of them you know maybe in, in middle age and you know, or would it be when uh, uh, 
John ends up with the woman that he, you know, marries, you ca- go thus fr- causing the rift. Well, that's the thing. You could go further back. Yeah. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for that uh, in a prequel. I don't necessarily know who would, who necessarily would, would do it. Who would, I could not think of a, I, I could not think of an actor that I would cast and I I thought about that's, it. Yeah, that's the tough part is that, you know, you're casting younger versions of iconic, I don't know, actors playing, I you know, semi-iconic yeah. roles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're kind of like, they're, they're that's what they're known for to like 90s it, kids. See, <laughs> my fear is that it would have been, and I know that this is a very different type of example, but when they did... You know, the Dumb and Dumberer prequel and, you know, having younger actors play the younger versions of Jeff Daniels and and Jim Carrey, you know, you just are just like, they're just doing impressions and yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so th- uh, that wasn't the only, th- I mean, I was also, I was kind of thinking like, all right, well, what if you did a remake? What if you did... And a remake that could go from being more literal to more like, all right, maybe we change the setting. Uh-huh. We change, you know, the characters based on who they are. And I also was, I was thinking about how, you know, like there's the Kaminsky method uh, mm. with Alan yeah. Arkin and Michael Douglas, which I know is not the same thing, but it's that, it's that similar like partnering to older actors and you know, some of the shtick is about being old. So I was, I, I thought about some pairings that I would be interested in seeing. Um, uh-huh. Just kind of for shits and giggles. Um, I would love to see a De Niro and Pacino. I was also trying to think of who's in the right age well, range. Well, yeah. A, like a De Niro actors and Pacino. in their 70s and 80s. Yeah. yeah. De Niro and Pacino, I think, are the first to come up in anybody's minds. Like Pacino in the, in the, in the Mathau role. Yeah. And De Niro in the, in the Lemon role. Right. I would love to see I, that would that would be fun. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, I don't know, Tommy Lee Jones and Danny DeVito. Uh, <laughs> um, That'd be weird. John Lithgow, I think, could be another. Uh, yeah. Another good one to do. Yeah. Uh, like John Lithgow and Harrison Ford. <laughs> well, one of the. So obviously, when you're talking about remaking a movie like this, you just kind of go down the mental list. And one of them that I was thinking, not that I think it should be remade, but like one of them that I was thinking was actually um, Jeff Bridges and Gene Hackman. Really? Yeah. Because the thing That's is a like pretty big age range. You think so? I don't think that it Gene Hackman really... is like 88. So what? <laughs> he's also, he's retired. Um, Jeff well, Bridges. <laughs> well, I mean, okay. If you get rid of the backstory that like they were friends from childhood. I, you know what? I don't think that it really, because to me, Walter Matthau feels a lot older than Jack Lemmon. But Gene Gene Hackman and Jeff Bridges? Jeff Bridges is old. Well, 71. That's a but... bigger age difference than between Anne Margaret and Jack Lemmon. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, all I'm saying is like, I, I'm trying to think of actors who more of like their vibes, you know, yeah. their, 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 their acting styles. Because I feel like, okay, uh, I know that... I'm in a minority of this, but like, I'm tired of De Niro and Pacino, you know, and, and De Niro did like Dirty Grandpa. And I feel like that's yeah. kind of, he's you know, kind of, he, yeah, he's no, kind I of don't done think this it type would be good. Yeah. I, I like, I couldn't think of a pair that like Nick Nolte and Morgan Freeman, maybe. <laughs> eh, yeah. I said, that's the thing is just like, I don't, 
I don't want to see anybody doing this. And the thing is, I feel like the people that I'd want to see doing this are already doing it because we already have yeah. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin and Grace and Frankie who are doing this. They are now, they are grumpy old women. Now, what if you took because I was also trying to think I, I was I was also thinking of of actresses who I would like to see. Who I'm like, oh, it would be cool to see them do something like this. And I was like, what if you got Sally Field and Diane Keaton together? What if you got Carol Burnett in the Burgess Meredith role? <laughs> that would be, I thought about, actually, honestly, that's the casting choice that got me the most excited was Carol Burnett in that Burgess Meredith role. Yeah. I, I mean, I like, do feel like, oh, I do feel like the only awesome. way to, to remake it would be to do a gender flip you know, make it feel just a little bit more different and also kind of right the wrong that was done in Grumpy Old Men with Anne Margaret's character. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, giving the women more agency. And but like I said, Lily Tomlin and Jane Fonda are doing that so well in Grace and Frankie on Netflix. So well we kind yeah, of already yeah. have it. Yeah, yeah, that was I have that down um with my Kaminsky method note yeah. is is kind of it's kind of like that's it's not exactly the same but it's the concept of pairing together and with with Lemon so and wait, Kaminsky Kaminsky method is Michael Douglas and Alan Arkin and Alan Arkin that's right yeah I haven't watched it I watched the first episode okay yeah and I mean you know it was fine I just didn't really feel like keeping up with it um, there you go. Yeah. I mean, same the method is a failure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, honestly, like there's so many shows out there and I just don't have a ton of time. So if, if something doesn't grab me yeah. and make me want to go back and keep watching Next. it. Yeah. Yeah. So I need to fall asleep watching episodes. I've been falling asleep during episodes of Fargo because I'm mm. so compelled. I'm like, all right, I need to like, I'm like, oh man, I think I can watch that episode. I have gone, I have fallen asleep before the main title, which sometimes is <laughs> like 20 minutes in, yeah, but that's true. I, I have fallen asleep at the beginning and I've woken up at the credits. <laughs> oh, uh, the, um, the fourth season just wrapped up and man, oh man. I'm a couple of episodes before the end on the okay. fourth season. Okay. Yeah. So far for me, it does not, it, it ranks it's, of the seasons I've seen. It does not rank above two and three for me, which rank very same. close to each other. Same. I feel like one and four are very close for me, but you know, I, but I really appreciate a lot of the things that it does. Oh, and, it, it has, yeah. it, it has a lot going for it. Yeah. It is, it's totally good. Anyway, sorry, John, go ahead. So, uh, any, any so, thoughts, what would you like, do? So, yeah, I was going through, ice fishing. I was going through the ideas of like how it could be remade. Who would play the roles? I've looked at, you know, lists of actors in their 70s and 80s just to see if there's anyone I missed that would have like sparked something. And it's like, nah. So the idea that I really had is actually some an idea that I had years ago that was a reality show pitch that I actually sold to a production company. The statute of limitations is up on this. Your eyes are wide. It was called The Real Golden Girls of Beverly Hills. And what we had discussed, you know, in, in the show that we had sold was, you know, this group of, and it it really came down to um, 
women in their 70s and 80s who were actresses who were, you know, big in their time. You know, when it's Beverly Hills, of course, that's where where you go and you sell things with names. And the the casting that the production company had done, and granted, this was a, several years ago, and unfortunately, some of the, uh, the women uh, have passed, but it was like Florence Henderson and Diane Cannon, which would, you know, Diane Cannon would love to see that. But it was, you know, these women who actually do hang out with each other and they have these spats with each other and they have their, you know, their frenemies such as, and I don't think that, I I don't know if I'm like breaking any news or anything, but like they're all frenemies of like Raquel Welch. And I know, see, that's the thing is it's just like, it's funny to know that like there are these real life grumpy old women and they have these little rivalries between them. And it's like, this doesn't have to happen with, you know, celebrities in their 70s or and 80s. You know, right. it could be real people in Minnesota, uh, you know, a, a reality show based on them. I remember you telling me about that idea and thinking that it. I would... I I would said I would watch that. Yeah, I'd watch the that problem, right now. The the problem that the production company was having selling it to the networks was that at the time the networks were really focused on show and the statute of limitations is up on this, but the 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 networks at the time were looking at shows about families. You know, very much about things like the Kardashians and you know like families like that and it just never really worked with what the networks were looking for so anyway who knows i mean maybe it will come up sometime but uh profiles television that's the production company that owns the rights to it well i i mean yeah i it, you know all hope is not gone yeah yeah so anyway that's that's what i had it, it was like it was there the entire time and i it took me until like an hour before we started recording to realize like oh duh like, <laughs> yeah, we've been down this That's, road before. Yeah. You've done this. Yeah. You've already done it. So, yeah. Yeah. And Dan, uh, in case you're wondering, yes, Raquel Welch is the name that I was looking up before the show began because I couldn't quite remember her name. Uh, she's not somebody who comes up all the time, but I did remember that she was in Naked Gun 33 and a third. And that's the movie that I knew I had to look up the cast list for to verify her name. Okay. <laughs> All right. She, uh, that's when they have like the Academy Awards and she's presenting and yes. she likes, like gets knocked over and like the microphone goes down her throat. I never realized there'd be this many. They added 75 new categories. Best actor in the Columbus movie. To present the award for best director is star of stage and screen Raquel Welch and the distinguished host of his own award-winning talk show, Bill Donahue. That might be the envelope for the bomb. Keep looking here. One more second, Mr. Donahue. Joey. Joey! 
my pleasure to present you. What the hell? Jesus. Go to commercial. Do you remember that? Vaguely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 33 and the third is is the one I revisit the least often. <laughs> so, Dan, why don't we tell everybody what we're talking about on the next episode? Oh, you mean episode 1994. 94. Episode 94. Yeah. 1994, a contender for best year in movies. We are going to focus on one that does not often... Uh, it's not often one of the first that comes up in that conversation, but... Um, I don't know. That might be a mistake. So we'll talk about that next week, next time, uh, <laughs> next episode when we talk about Ron Howard's The Paper. Yeah. Co-starring, uh, somebody who could be in the conservative, grumpy old men reboot, Randy Quaid. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah, so, who's fantastic in the paper. We'll talk about it on the next episode. Absolutely. That we so will. So follow us on Instagram at Ruined Childhoods Pod. We're on Twitter at Ruined underscore pod. Visit us on uh, T Public. Check out some merch. And also, if you do go to our T Public page, you will see a sneak preview of our new uh, podcast artwork that we will be debuting at episode 100, but you can get a sneak peek if you go to our online merch store. Uh, the link will be in this episode's description. Big things, big things in the works. Yes. So, Dan, as you are on your rowboat trying to catch Catfish Hunter, I wish you a good journey. Good journey, moron. <laughs> good journey, butts. It takes a woman all powder than pink. To joyously clean out the drain in the sink And it takes an angel with long golden lashes And soft Dresden fingers for dumping the ashes